Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Hello out there, friends, listeners. I would say mum, but she's not listening to podcasts. Would <laughs> I, your mum listen? I don't know if my mum would, but I'm pretty sure my dad is listening. Oh, your dad's definitely. He will text us Yeah. now that we've mentioned him. Hey, dad. We love you, John Gould. <laughs> well, I can't speak for Bench, but I do. <laughs> I also love you, dad. Um, well, welcome to Forming Church Podcast. It is good to have you here. Today, we have a conversation with John Kavanagh, who is a church planter. He is a... Uh, part of a team planning a church in Marrickville, uh, a very cool little uh, 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 embryo of a, of a church plant going along there and uh, some good stuff and well worth following on Instagram. And uh, he's also been doing some research for our denomination, the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT, around models and styles of churches and a kind of a blended mixed ecology of churches, which is very much our approach, very much the approach of our podcast, that the big thing, the small thing, everything mm. in between, that they are an ecosystem. They're not in competition with one another, but they are uh, dependent on one another. John describes himself in this conversation as a mix between a nerd and a cynic, making him a good researcher because he's a bit of a sceptic about people that just just tell you what they reckon from their gut feels. That's me. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a gut feel kind of person. <laughs> me too. So if you're into research, if you're into facts, if you would consider yourself somewhat of a pragmatist, then I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. And if you're not, you still will because we're probably not. And we did. <laughs> That's true. That's true. This is a great conversation and uh, lots, lots of nuggets, lots to unpack. So listen slowly. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Mauling College. As well as their great theological study options, Mauling run free courses, open nights and public events on topics like transforming vocation, faith in action, bioethics and more. And if you're a church planter, they even run a church planting course called Scent. They have a range of scholarships, campuses in Perth and Sydney, as well as online study options. You can find out more at mauling.edu.au. John Kavanagh, thank you for joining us on Forming Church Podcast. Before we say anything else, i just got to say, based on your Burks, your beard, <laughs> yep. and the Instagram page of Marrickville Baptist Church, I'm a huge fan. We I'm, haven't really talked, but I'm excited to talk. I appreciate that. That's good. I'm glad I looked the part at least. Oh, you look you definitely <laughs> looked the Marrickville part. Even I if like nothing it. else works out. I'm ready I'm ready to join your church. I don't need to know anything else. Yes. That's what I need to hear. <laughs> the vibe the vibe is enough. Perfect. That's Very great. Good. Well, welcome. Um firstly, I'd love to just know what, what does a normal week look like in the life of John? You know what? I wish I had an answer to that question. At the moment we don't I don't think we have a normal week. But uh I think in about maybe a month we will. Like uh, my wife Kate goes back to work next week. My kids start school. Our youngest is in daycare. Like we can see a routine in the future, but 
but at the moment there is no routine. So at the moment it's a mix of a bunch of different stuff, uh, stuff with church, Maryville Baptist, getting that off the ground, um, doing a bit of work like the stuff we're talking about today, looking after my kids. Uh, we're currently uh, – we actually just moved this week. Um, this is going to wreck your timeline like for because this isn't coming out today. So this week – it's not right. this week when people Once listen. Once this episode comes out, you're going to get a bunch of messages from people saying, oh, you, well, I don't know, people probably don't message about that kind of thing. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But we moved on the 26th. It was super hot. So we've moved house, but we were up at Elwood and doing a bunch of stuff at Elwood Baptist Church as well. So at the moment, it's all up in the air. Every single day looks different. Um, but uh, leading the Marifle Baptist Church team, doing stuff with family, looking after my kids, those are the big sort of three things that take up. Now, time. I just discovered this Marifle Baptist Church, as I said before, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Beautiful looking little picture of a clothesline, the classic hills hoist, yep. backyard church kind yep. of, you know, promotion thing going on. But what's the story? Where'd this come from? What is Marrickville Baptist Church? Uh, how did it start? Oh, it depends how far back you go. I guess basically there's been a vision from uh, the association to do something new in Marrickville for a while. Uh, Marrickville Baptist Church that had been there for a long time, a faithful church had got to a point where they no longer were sustainable and thought it was time for them to end. And then uh, the association wanted to do something strategic in the the inner west. Um, and at about that time I was finishing up a job and I was thinking of moving back either to Melbourne uh, or, or Tassie or something like that. I had a chat with Jamie and he was um, Jamie Freeman. He said, if you were going to do anything in Sydney, where would you want it to be? And I didn't know any of this stuff about Marrickville at the time, right? And I said, Marrickville, that's where we'd want to be. That that feels like home to us. It's a bit of Sydney that feels like home to us. And then he was like, well, that's that's perfect because we need to do something in Marrickville. We want to do something in Marrickville. We've got other people interested in it. And then the conversation went on and sort of there's this team came around that and uh, we, we, we lent into that. We, we didn't really expect it to happen. We weren't, to be honest, we weren't keen to stay in Sydney. We're pretty keen to go back to family in either Melbourne or Tassie, but then this opportunity was too good to pass up. Great people, great part of the city, really exciting potential for like a, a creative church in the inner city. So we leaned into that and then COVID started and that changed everything. But, I mean, I've listened to you guys talk a little bit about this, right, um, planning a church in COVID times. The thing that I think has been really good for us is COVID has forced us to stick to our values around what church is. I think otherwise our temptation would have been to rush to like textbook church plant stuff like, you know, big launch, lead up all of that. COVID meant we couldn't do that. So we had to lean into like community. We had to lean into like small scale grassroots, build it up. And that's kind of the stage we're at at the moment. So that's what Backyard Church is all about. We're just meeting informally in someone's backyard and yeah, doing these sort of smaller things and building this network of people. It's, it's, I think, I feel like I'm in a funny position in it in that like I know everyone involved a lot of them don't know other people involved because that, that person's been at this thing, that person's been at this thing. So there's this sort of growing network and we're excited about sometime, hopefully in the next couple of months, having an opportunity to get everyone in the room. But, yeah, there's this – it feels like a little movement. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, I just have to ask because it sounds like you're – you know, we, we've got our whole big versus small thing on this podcast. That's the battle that we're all here for. Yeah. Based on what you just said, it sounds like you've kind of been forced into small but there's the potential for big in the future but – What's your vision for like, I don't know, where you see this thing going? Yeah, well, I think we'll talk a little bit about this today and the other stuff we talk about, but sort of part of our our vision and part of our mandate from uh, the association is to be a resource church 
in the inner west. So I think that means for us what we'll end up being is sort of a hybrid model thing. So like a big and a small thing. So we kind of talk about like a hub and spokes or there's this old sort of missiology language of like the, the modality and the sodality of church. So like this sort of the, the central worshipping community that, you know, might be a bigger, more traditional looking sort of church service. But part of what it does is it becomes a hub for a much more diverse, creative fringe of like small little experimental things around the around the outside. Um, I think something that will be increasingly important in the church in the West as culture changes is we need things that are like solid and, and reliable and sustainable to be able to empower experiment and to be able to like take on failures when you try something that doesn't work. You don't want the whole thing to collapse, but there's something strong that people can come back to, regroup, rethink, try again. So hopefully we'll build something something strong, central, maybe a bit large, but its purpose is to facilitate these sort of smaller, more creative mm. communities on the fringe. That's the vision. Oh, that's so I cool. Know. I really like that. And it, it, it kind of sounds like it encapsulates a lot of the conversation we've been having around diversity and the, uh, you know, as a movement here in the Baptist and in New South Wales and ACT, and I know this is sort of spreading beyond that, but the, the fact that we actually do need uh, different spaces, different shapes and sizes, and yeah, yeah. those things are not in competition against one another, but they're, they're in an ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so you have been uh, doing some research for our association mm-hmm. around this very thing. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain a little bit what, what you've been doing? Yeah, for sure. So, um, like, uh, so I'm a nerd basically. I can start with that. I, like I'm, I'm – I think I'm a nerd and I'm a cynic. So in my mind that makes you like pretty good to do research because you just want to look really into all the details and data of stuff but you also don't take things uh, on like face, face value. So uh, yeah, maybe that's what they knew about me when they asked me to do this. But uh, and, and I've got a background in like uh, like um, social sciences, uh, community development, that sort of stuff. That's what my training was in. So uh, again, Jamie Freeman asked me if I'd be interested in doing this research project uh, he had, which is basically looking at uh, the church planning strategy that that New Start is developing, and looking at this idea of yeah diversity and planning different models of church. And he said, "Can you spend a bit of time uh, researching for us, like what this looks like uh, in a sort of a few sort of key areas? So how does contact context and uh, demographics and like the place of where a church is planted impact upon like the model you're using? Um, what does that then impact?" Uh, up on leadership, so models, context, what does that mean for leadership? Models, context, leadership, what does that mean for like finances and sustainability and that sort of stuff? So uh, that's what we looked into. Um, basically there's the four models of church that the association is looking at trying to plant strategically we were looking at, uh, looking at all of those four models and going what do they look like on the ground in this place with that leader, with that sort of money? Um and then you look into the research and you pretty quickly realise you can't say much because there's so much out there and it's, it's confusing and that, that sort of stuff. So so what I did is I, I read heaps um, and at all sorts of, of different levels. Like a lot of church plant literature is pretty, I'm going to be rude here, but like it's pretty shallow, right? It's a lot of ideology, a lot of opinion and then a lot of like anecdotal evidence. Um, and just because something worked well once in one place, that doesn't mean that's, you know, going to work. So... 
read a lot of that stuff, but then tried to get into stuff that was a bit more sort of academic and scientific in its approach. So, you know, read, read blogs and articles and denominational reports and stuff, but tried to get into like peer-reviewed literature, read a lot of dissertations from people doing their PhDs and this stuff, um, and read books by academics who were publishing peer-reviewed stuff. So a lot of more ethnographic data and a lot of more statistical stuff as well. Was this spanning across different countries, cultures? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of – actually, I reckon a lot of really good research at the moment is coming out of Europe. So I think that's because they're uh, like much further into sort of a post-Christian culture than say the States are. So that was actually one of the things I tried to do. If I found something that someone was saying from research in Europe, I'd go, well, is someone in America saying the same thing? Are they seeing the same patterns in that context? Because there's some stuff in Australia, not a heap of stuff in Australia – so if I could find it in different contexts, then it became easy to sort of extrapolate, go, well, maybe that might be true in a bunch of different Western contexts. Um, or did the opposite. I'd find one person saying something and then everyone else would be saying the opposite. You're going, I don't know what's going on with that data, but everyone mm-hmm. else seems to find different results. Um, and that was the first first stage of this, but then we realised that we had to bring it bring it home to our context. So interviewed uh, just over a dozen leaders from within our movement and ask them questions that have been brought up by the research had already done to see if whether what this research was saying sort of fit with what people were experiencing on the ground in and around New South Wales and the ACT. That was sort of the last stage and I tried not to be biased with that, like ask the question, hear the answer and not say, well, so-and-so says, you know, this about blah, blah, what do you think about that? But just let people speak and that's when sort of patterns started to come out I yeah think. yeah oh very good well well how about we talk about the four models of yeah, church planting sure. so the first one is it's, it's not a continuum necessarily but different yeah. a, a diversity of of uh of models i suppose is mm-hmm. that is that right yeah yeah so i mean th- this is a sort of thing right straight away as soon as you start talking about church models you, you're talking about something that sort of exists at a meta level but on the ground they never look like that right mm. in, in real life d- diversity and there's you know there's spectrum and, and blends and hybrid models and all that sort of stuff but broadly speaking the four models that the association has been looking at planting uh, are regional churches resource churches neighborhood churches and simple churches so I think the way you guys fit in that, right, is regional church bench and simple church well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Ish. So maybe I should, <laughs> should let you guys explain what those things are. <laughs> but um, I guess basically a regional church is usually sort of um, often a slightly larger church, generally drawing across a larger region. So people are traveling further to go to church. It, it, it's sort of, it's not particularly place based in one specific parish if you want to use that word or or area but draws from a a bit of a larger area and then most of the sort of defining features of it are built off the back of that so uh, that means sometimes it might mean that the church has to be more programmatic and I don't mean that in a negative sense I just mean it has to be more organized and structured in its ministry and mission because people are are traveling because there's more people there needs to be more structures governance that sort of thing so sometimes it's built around uh, like a more programmatic thing sometimes it's built around a, like a hub space so there's a central place that people come to and again you know that creates a certain set of sort of rhythms and organization that comes with it um uh, a neighborhood church much more place-based they've got their area their parish their community their 
neighbourhood where they're based. And then ministry and mission flow from that context primarily. So they may, they may develop programs and be more programmatic and, and structured, but only as it flows out of their context. So they've got a heart for a place, they play a priestly chaplaincy type role in that place. That means they often tend to be a bit more like organic and relational in their structures and often a bit smaller because they're you know, drawing from a smaller sort of population area. And then simple churches, hard to define, super broad, but basically um, the, in the data we were looking at, they tend to be lay-led, so n- no paid staff, no clergy. They tend to not own property. Uh, if they do have budgets, they're, they're sort of smaller and more focused on like direct giving to ministry or mission rather than having to maintain structures and stuff like that. And then after that, they become flexible. So they're, they're groups of people that coalesce around different things maybe it's a place like uh, where people live maybe it's a workplace maybe it's just an, an idea of what church could be uh like you know based around the table or based around like a particular sort of approach to prayer or something like that or, or all sorts of things that can bring together a smaller group of people uh, around an idea which means they're often you know nimble flexible they can change pretty quick um and then resource churches which the goal of the church isn't just to build itself, but it's to be a resource for the for the kingdom. So the church isn't just about that church getting big, but that church facilitating ministry, mission, kingdom work in and around itself. Um, the idea kind of comes from the UK, the Anglican church over there. I think maybe the Methodists are involved in that, involved in it as well, but strategically planning churches in hubs with large populations with a mandate that you're not just here for yourself, you're here for the region, you're here for Mm -hmm. the area. We want to see you planning churches. We want to see you resourcing other churches. We want to see you like really seeking to grow leaders and and grow a vision that's bigger than just you. Um, And and as we looked into that and researched that, we sort of saw that there's not necessarily one strict model that fits that. So sort of traditionally maybe a resource church would tend to be a regional church, but there's no reason a neighbourhood church can't be a resource church. There's no reason a network of simple churches can't operate Mm -hmm. as a resource church. And uh, if if you're seeking to plant these in broad contexts, I think, yeah, what, what a resource church looks like on the ground could be pretty different. But as long as it's planted in a key area, with a mandate bigger than itself for the region, that sort of fits the criteria for mm. that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's obviously a spectrum, like you said, with all kinds of overlaps and things yeah. like that. Because yeah. I think about uh, Greenhouse Church being, I guess, really started as a neighbourhood church, and it seems like maybe becoming more of that regional church. And there are elements of my simple church that probably fit with the neighbourhood church model. Yeah, and there are there's kind of that whole mix. Um, but then I love the entrepreneurial idea of getting people to be able to, you know, pull stuff together in a way that could resource other things in the neighbourhood. Yeah. So, yeah, some interesting threads of overlap there. One thing I was thinking while you were just talking, I'm, I've been reading a book called The Lean Startup. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You might have read it or be familiar with it. But, you know, the idea that even in large established companies there are entrepreneurs. Yeah. And when those large established companies allow those entrepreneurs to pursue new things that's kind of the same as having the big established church that provides the structure the stability the safety net yeah to actually mobilize those new things which sometimes become big things in the future but you kind of need that relationship so yeah yeah exactly the the lean startup that actually came up in some of the research i was doing right because so this is my opinion, right? I can't, I can't back this up with data. But I think one of the key reasons you, got, you plant churches is for the sake of innovation. It's about learning. 
how to contextualize the gospel in our context, in our time, in our place, how to be a church for the people who are around us. And, and to do that, we got to we got to innovate. we got to look at our contexts, look at our people, look at our values and go, well, what does it actually look like to be church with all of these? Um, and with the Lean Startup guys, one of the things that they say is that one of the things that's important for innovation is some sort of safety net. So either that sort of uh, like a small but regular reliable funding so you, you're you not just chasing the money to survive and ones you're yeah, having some sort of structures around you so you can like, um, yeah, survive. Yeah. There's always risk, right? If you, you step outside the box, step out of the boat, you might sink. But if we've got safety nets through like a denomination, through partner churches, through a resource church, through a network, then there's less risk innovating and we can fail and not drown. And we might succeed. Like some of the things that have come out of those little side startup things from big organisations become huge. Yeah. And they become that that genuine innovation that yeah. you've got to have that culture of being able to try and fail, which I wonder if like churches get a bit scared of planting churches because they have some sort of pressure around mm. this has to become what we are. Mm. It has to become the same as us or, or it has to sort of work by whatever metrics we're choosing. Yeah. And so maybe part of if we're going to plant heaps of churches, we've got to change how we think about the, ver- the variety of outcomes that that might lead to and they're all potential yeah. learning opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And that's interesting, I think, because often, um, yeah, the metrics, like how do you judge success or failure? So there's this guy called um, uh, Steve Taylor. He's a theologian from New Zealand. Uh, a while back he did his, like, his PhD on like the emerging church, early mission church, uh, a bunch of research on that. and But just recently he released a book uh, called First Expressions, which was um, a follow-up on that research like 10, 15 years down the track. And he went back to all the churches he'd originally researched back then. I think most of them had closed. So like if you just look at that, you go, they failed. But if you if you actually look into the stories, the things that have grown out of that, even after the church has closed, huge, huge amounts of like leaders were brought up through that church and our leaders in their denominations, leaders in other churches because of that experience, other churches that have been planted off it, people who've seen some of the things that were experimented with and gone, oh, we're going to take that on board and then they make it work. It might not have had like longevity in that first context, but in the second context it does. Mm-hmm. And so it could look like failure, but the truth is huge amounts of fruit have come out of it uh, because there was the the space to experiment. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And, and part of the reason, you know, why we're doing this podcast is that to, to uh, lay out that there is an ecosystem, like we're part mm. of an ecosystem of churches. And I think um, it's pretty easy to become, particularly when you're church planned, you become individual about your church. Like you, like, and so much is on the line when you plan a church and, you know, your ego and yeah. uh, your livelihood and, you know, just uh, lots of social stuff um, about what's going to, you know, have success uh, in quotation marks or, or failure. Mm. Um, but viewing it in that lens of like what what is this bringing to the ecosystem of of the kingdom, yeah. that expression might have lasted 10 years, but what has it done for the ecosystem, the innovation? What have we learned exactly. as a as a broader church? I think that's that's so beautiful. And I think that's one of the great things about this this piece of research and and categorizing the sort of models of church. Mm. When it comes to, if you imagine someone who's listening to this, they're thinking about planting a church in the future and maybe they're looking at 
these models, simple, neighborhood, regional, resource, what things should someone consider when when trying to work out what, what sort of church they should plant? Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe the first thing I'll do is just go back half a step from your question, if that's all right. You might be listening and you might not be thinking about planting a church because you've got a particular idea in your head of what that looks like and what church plants look yeah, like. I think the first thing that these these different models would, would point out and that the, re, the research points out is that actually – a much wider variety of people than we might expect are capable of leading a church plan, of planning mm. a church. Um, they just need a model and a context that fits with them, their giftings, their their values, their, their vision, their hopes, their dreams. So you might not, you might be listening to this and not thinking about planning a church, but you probably should be thinking about planning a church because you could do it. You just need to find the model, uh, the approach that works for you in the place you are. If it wasn't for hearing about some of these different approaches, I had no aspiration to be a church planter. Like I looked at yeah. Benj and it's like Benj clearly has the the calling, the gifting. He is the church planter in my mind. And I say that as a compliment, but in many <laughs> ways you're the stereotype of the, the good thing. Um, but it was actually hearing other people talk about these alternative expressions, these kind of, um, you know, we've, we've used the language of rhinos and rabbits and mm. like these different gestation periods for animals that are giving birth to something huge or small. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can testify personally to like when you understand that it doesn't always look like the way that you have in your mind, um, there might be heaps more potential planters or yeah. starters or entrepreneurs uh, who just need to be given permission to dream in some different ways. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's where you'd, you'd start thinking, which is like think about yourself. Who am I? What do I want to do? Where do I want to be involved in a church? Like what sort of place? But I'll get to that in a sec. But yeah, who, who are you? What are your giftings? What are your desires? What are your dreams? And then you may find yourself gravitating towards a particular model uh, you might find yourself not gravitating towards one and that might be a sign that maybe go the other direction. Like I really don't want to do that. Like I don't I don't know what I want to do but I don't want to be a neighbourhood church. That, that doesn't, for whatever reason, that doesn't fit with what I'm thinking. So think about it on that personal level, get other people to engage with you and sort of to vision around you. I think, I don't know, if you're anything like me, you don't see yourself as clearly maybe as other people see you and getting some help around that. And then the second thing would be thinking about your context. So looking at where you want to plan and, and beginning to think of what sort of model would work here. Because I think like ideally you want a sweet spot between model, context and leader. And if you can hit that, then, you know, that's awesome. But I think one of the things that the research does show up is that there is no perfect model and there's actually like people might tell you certain ways to do things right but there's actually no evidence that any model works better than any other in practice and you can find sort of the data that shows you this works best here this works best there this works best with this sort of person but the truth is like on, on the ground all sorts of things work that shouldn't work and a whole bunch of stuff fails that really should have worked and so there's going to be that to it and you know you could read that cynically and go oh well, i try you could read that in a more positive way and go well there's there's always exceptions to the to the rules um and i think that's that can be really freeing so going yeah i'm like this i want to plant a church that looks like this my context goes that will never work but if it's my heart and if that's a model that i think i can lead well it might well work and then the opposite could happen too is you could you could have, you know, 
in mind, I'm, I'm going to do something here um, and I know that this model is, is going to be difficult for me to lead. I'm not the right person to lead this, but this is where I want to do it and this is what I think will work here. So I'll step out and hope that, you know, God finds a way to empower me by probably most likely bringing other people around you to, to get the work done in the place. So we're talking about there's models, mm-hmm. there's context mm-hmm. and there's leadership. Mm-hmm. These are kind of these three pieces and yep. then how you put them together yep. will obviously lead to many, many different outcomes. Yep. But how how do you try and integrate those things? Like wh- where do you start? Would you start with one of those areas? Do you start with leadership? Do you start with context or how do you kind of weave them together? Look, I don't think the research would necessarily provide me with a particular clear answer for that, but I can give you some of my opinions um, well, that's what everyone else has been doing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so up, join in. Up until this point, it's all been opinions, man. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I can't. Yeah, I'm not going to give you stats off the top of my head. I think I think model comes last. I think you like your perception of yourself as a leader comes first, and context comes first. So I think you start. I think you should start with values, and then from values, you should move into uh, like approach how how will I lead and then move into context and then move into model and I don't think you do it once right I think if yeah. uh, if the research says anything it's that you have to build in like iteration or reflexivity to what you're doing mm-hmm. always be going through that cycle and asking again what's going on in our context what's going on in our values what's going on in me as a leader what's going on in us as a community and and cycling around always like action reflection action reflection action reflection get the theory try it out look back on it did it work come up with a new theory revise the theory try it out because you're not going to nail it first time right and i think that's one of the things that you see when you look at some of the like uh more like longitudinal research that's taken over time is context changes much quicker than churches change often mm-hmm. so a, a church can have been the right model for its context at the time it was started now 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years 50 years later everything has changed but because the, the, the leadership of the church, the, the church community hasn't been doing that sort of iterative thinking, they've, they've lost their chance to, to rebuild. So don't, don't ask yourself those questions just once. Be always asking them, even just through the first like initial process of coming out with the church, like vision's not cast, vision is discerned. Mm. And, and that's a process, right? Discernment is a process, not a one-off thing. Oh, that's good. That's really encouraging what you were saying about iteration we we've just been going through a process so we we started really as a neighborhood church mm. hyper local we called people to move into the neighborhood our vision was like to have dinner parties which is our small group structure within walking distance of where you are yeah um and kind of without us knowing we we grew into a regional church but we're tr- still trying to be a neighborhood church mm-hmm. and that caused a lot of tension in what we were doing yeah um in in terms of people and what we were sort of highlighting um, and then on top of that, you bring in COVID where the local really did matter, but also we couldn't share meals. You yeah. Know, um, the, the embedded physicality of being around one another uh, was not so much where we're sort of commuting online everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've sort of been wrestling through this weird tension of, well, we've like inadvertently moved from a neighborhood church to a regional church. Um, but funnily enough, that's caused us to to move towards more decentralization. And so the way that we've been talking about it is we've moved from a neighborhood church to a church of neighborhoods. Yeah, And cool. so how do we continue to resource and empower our people to the 
space, the street, the house, the neighbourhood they feel called to and connect with other Christians in, in their neighbourhood without losing some of that sort of original DNA that we had around our, the neighbourhood that we have, you know. Mm. And so it's, it's a strange tension, but it's kind of helpful for me to hear that that's actually help, a healthy thing. Because in some ways I, I look at that and go, oh, man, do we get, do we get it wrong yeah. to start with and now or do we do something wrong? Yeah. Um, so that's helpful. Thank you. That's good. Even Narara, which both of our church plants came out of, probably became a resource church somewhat, um, you know, kind of noticed it as it was happening. Mm. It's that sort of like um, didn't necessarily set out to become this, but as the movement of context and leadership uh, and what God is doing in a place, you know, if you've got open eyes to it, those shifts are happening. So part of what I'm hearing is, yeah, like have hold hold model loosely mm-hmm. and be open to seeing how it evolves over time. When you pick your model, you're picking it today. You don't know yeah. what tomorrow is going to be like though. Um, and hindsight's always easier to understand than when you're trying to be in the moment or, or look forward. And that's the thing of all this research, right? Research almost by definition is about hindsight, by looking at what's already happened and then trying to mm. be wise, but it's not going to tell you what to do in your context. And yeah, what, what you what you need to do might be totally different to what anyone's done before and what you yeah. know, research can tell you works or doesn't work. So you mentioned at the beginning that there was some element of this research that dealt with the money side of things. Mm-hmm. This is obviously what we all want to talk about. How are we going to get paid? The cash. So, um, yeah, what were some of the things that you observed in terms of those different models and how they sat with different kind of ways of generating their finances? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think the one of the big things is that churches sort of historically and today, for the most part, get their funds from two things, tithe and property. Like they're the big two things. First of all, church plant usually doesn't have much of a tithe or, or property. Uh, and then the other thing is that um, like across the world, it seems in not just in Christianity but other religious groups, tithe is down. People give less to the church now than they used to. The only exception I found to that is in, in some contexts, mosques giving up. I, I don't know why that is or what the context reasons for that but there does seem to be this trend upward trend of giving um in mosques but churches uh, synagogues different um and you know there's maybe there's a lot of different reasons for that it seems to show that like younger generations give less to churches actually what i should add when i say tithe is down giving's not down so people are still giving as much it seems to to like, you know, NGOs, charities and stuff as they used to, they're just not giving as much of it to churches as they used to. So there's maybe something there around vision or things like that. People don't have as much money to give to those things as they used to. Like if you look at the proportion of people's incomes that give towards rent over time, getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And so all of that impacts upon that. So I I think, and then there's context things, right, too. Different contexts seem to tithe less than, than others. Um, that's partly maybe to do with class, partly maybe to do with politics or the, the sorts of churches. Denomination probably as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, denomination, yeah. all sorts of different things. So I, I don't think we can rely on tithe in the same way we used to. Um, I think property might be one of the answers, but that's not possible for everyone. Like in, in the research, we're talking to some people going, well, look, it'd be, I, I get that a lot of churches survive off um, 
like rental income. They have properties, they rent out, they use that income. And then I think the other thing that the, the work I did seems to show is that it's easier to survive uh, and to be financially sustainable if you're at either end of the spectrum. Really big church, really small church. Everything in the middle seems to be rough going though. Uh, so like in neighbourhood churches um, in sort of the data and in the interviews, they were the people who most commonly spoke about financial hardship. Um, like the, the church struggles to be financially sustainable. And I think this is really key, right, as we think about church planning. And I think this is key for people, you know, who have higher pay grades than any of us do around the table is often the most fruitful ministry is the least sustainable ministry. So the churches that are in places that are maybe a bit more cutting edge, poorer communities, immigrant communities, places where they're not going to be bringing in much tire, then they're always going to struggle to be financially sustainable. Churches doing work in inner city where they can't afford to buy property and will never be able to afford to buy property, they're doing really good work. So I think that says that the answer to this question is a bigger one than any individual church. Um, that's where, again, this uh, like ecology thing comes in and networks and things like that. We need to move our money around more than we do. Mm. Um, that, 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 you know, that brings up all sorts of different things about where do you give money, how do you give it. Um, and the lean startup thing too, like uh, what we fund, why we fund it, uh, like putting money towards innovation is, is wise, even if it's maybe more risky. It's probably a bit of risk not to invest in innovation mm. than to lose a little bit here and there on a project that fails. Um, more specific than that, uh, I think you, that, that the, the money thing ties into the context question. So when you're thinking about planning your church and you're thinking about the sort of model you want to do and the sort of place you want to do, it's wise to be thinking about finances straight up. But there's so many other ways that a church can be sustainable, like small yeah. businesses starting up social enterprises and things like that. Totally. Yeah. I would want to add a footnote that it, it sort of makes me think um, – well, the money thing, like many things, right, people can either over-focus on it or mm. under-focus on it and it's a little bit like your model should come after your values. Yeah. I think the sustainability strategy or the finance questions should come after that too because yeah. it's easy to just go and chase money where there's money but we don't want to get in a situation where there's no churches or ministries in poorer neighbourhoods because that's not a financially wise exactly. decision. So exactly. that's just a footnote for those listening that are kind of thinking, it's a tricky balance. You've got to think yeah. about the money, but, it, you know, it's kind of contextualising where does the money piece fit in the hierarchy yeah. of yeah. church planting. got to be driven by mission, not finances. But, yeah, like the truth is that the, the money will creep in there. It will sit in the back of your head. You've got a family sure. to feed. You'll be thinking about the money. And uh, I think that's a hard answer for any individual church yeah. planner to come up with. So, yeah, we need, we need structures and processes. I think there's also a bit of... Um, a bit of potential for some uh, Robin Hood action in there yeah. where it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, where can you find the big pools of money that you, if you've, if you've you know, got the right vision and you're clever, you can redirect that money to yeah. other places and you go, hey, if you're going to give X amount of money away per year anyway, give it to me I'm going to take it yeah. over here to these people. I thought you were suggesting violent crime. Like you were going to go <laughs> like pillage the big church down the road and distribute that money well, out. Well, it's just like research. Everything's open to interpretation so you yeah. can you can hear my comments and do what you will with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not while we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> <The> bows and arrows. <laughs> yeah, no, that's – um, I and I think it, it's a call for us as well as, as – church planters with that with that knowledge that people are giving less to the church 
is I think we have to recapture the vision again and get yeah. better at painting. Actually, what is the church doing? What is the church for? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, resource does follow vision. Um, and I think, yeah, that it's it's about vision, obviously for our own local churches, but on a broader scale of of the poorer neighbourhoods and the places that, that, you know, the work with Indigenous communities and, you know, the places that actually don't have the money there. Um, it's about painting vision and getting good at, good at talking about that because mm. I'm, I'm a chronic under talker of, of money um, because I don't want to be the other end, <laughs> but we've got to, we've got to balance out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, I mean, we could talk for ages. We could do a whole other series on um, all the questions around, you know, should the church just try and get people to tithe more or should there be a, a push towards more creativity? You know, why, why can't the church be leading the social enterprise space in yeah. going, hey, we've got people in our congregation that are brilliant business-minded people with a social conscience. They want to create an engine that goes towards the good of the city. Uh, that, that stuff excites me and I see the emergence of that more and more. I don't know if you saw much of that in the work you're doing, but that's kind of an – I'd see that as a next level um, of a, a church model that's actually business for good yeah. oriented. And it's not a new model, right? That's how like monasteries used to work. Trappist right? monks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you good beer. brew your mead, brew your beer and the like you're basically running social enterprises that are funding the mission and ministry of the of the mm. monastery. Yeah. So it's it's not an, it's not a new idea. No. Um I think it's we're in a different world and it's harder to do now and we need more training and support like you, you know dot your eyes cross your teeth that sort of stuff but I think you're exactly right and yeah it's creativity thinking creatively about money thinking mission minded about money rather than just yeah plus if your church owns the best brewery in the mm. neighborhood or a brewery in the neighborhood <laughs> um how much more credibility do you have in that place? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's not just, it's, that's what I love about it is ways of building the financial sustainability that actually are good for a place and that build relational long-term trust and credibility. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, it's great. Is there anything else from the research that, that we haven't talked about that you, you sort of find particularly interesting and think people should know? I think maybe one thing that struck me as someone leading a church plan at the moment that, that comes up a bit, it comes back to that how you interpret the data a little bit. So there's this thing called uh, like attribution theory, right? So thinking about how we attribute uh, like cause and effect. So um, why did something happen? Uh, and uh, some of the research in this has found with leaders in particular, and this is not church-specific research, has found that people tend to attribute success to internal causes. I did this, we did this, and attribute failure to external sources. Where I think the reality often is that both success and failure are, in church world are much more to do with external things than internal things it's not about what you did or didn't do it's about things that happen outside of your control this is the hard thing about researching researching churches right is that they're not simple things they're incredibly complex if not chaotic networked organizations like even in a simple church right a dozen people there's like 
you know, hundreds of different relational dynamics happening amongst those dozen people, hundreds. At a big church, that number just grows exponentially. And then add in the way that programs and visions and systems and all that sort of stuff adds to it. Things get really, really complex. And then put it in context where all that's happening around it in the broader community as well, hugely complex thing. There's very little you can do to have massive impact one way or the other on that. There's lots of, like, you can do stuff. Leadership is important. Vision is important, strategy is important, but there's a heap of stuff that's outside of your control. Um, so I think that that should breed humility a little bit, um, but also that's where you need to be smart and creative and reflect on things and look at your context and think bigger. The thing that like has most st- statistically significant impact on church growth is population growth. It's got nothing to do with what the church is actually doing, what the church is like. If it's in a place where the population is growing, that's the biggest and most like easy way to predict church growth. And that's totally basically outside of your control, except for maybe if you're church planning because you can pick an area that's and got population growth. You can influence the population growth slightly, you know, if you yeah. make some babies. That's true. And actually, th- like th- interestingly, that comes up in the research. So <laughs> it, it is literally one of the ways that churches grow historically is by, yeah, breeding making babies grow your church it's actually like it, it pops up all the time Love it. yeah <laughs> it's i don't know it's real awesome man well thank you so much for sharing with us um all your insights and and your your mix of uh some research with a little bit of opinion sprinkled throughout yeah. you know we've got to do that we've got to interpret the research yeah um we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions all right so one one word one sentence type answers what do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia? I want to say nothing because the church will prevail. Like Christ will be his church. I think the only, the biggest risk there is our opinions on what that church should be or what is and isn't church. Well, very good. Uh, what's giving you hope about the future of the church in Australia? I think my kids is a big bit of it. And this like parenthood thing gives me hope seeing, seeing what the youth are doing such an old man. <laughs> hey, you played your part in the, the church growth right there. Um, what's influencing you right now in terms of books and podcasts and shows and stuff you're watching or listening to? We just started watching Westworld. Sort of. Have you guys watched it? Yeah, some of it, yeah. And we never watched it. Like I didn't want to watch it, but then we got binge. So we started watching Westworld and like – I, I, I don't understand much about theories of consciousness, but that's been blowing my mind. Um, and I've been reading this book uh, by Diana Battlebus uh, on the Neighbourhood Church and looking at um, basically church revitalization in the main line uh, in the US and what these sort of more sort of, you know, not, not, not necessarily conservative, not necessarily liberal, but sort of more centre churches uh, are doing. And it's the sort of stuff that doesn't show up at the big conferences and things like that, like smaller churches doing really good work in their neighbourhood and some of the things they share in common. That's been really encouraging to me. That's good. If you could only ever give away one book for the rest of your life, bar the Bible, uh, you had a big stack, what would that book be? I don't think I have a good answer to that. Just read some books, (laughs) I think I would say. Like I I wouldn't necessarily give you any book. I'd give you a pile and go – Read any of these, that's better than not reading any of them. Is that an okay? Is that an acceptable answer? No. I love it. <laughs> Just read some books. Just some, read some books, you teenagers. 
Yeah, I'm constantly recommending books and people people are constantly not reading them. Yeah. It's just reads of books, guys. How frustrating is that? Yeah, it sucks. Um, okay, your two to three sentences for, for people listening that might be um, on the cusp of a new thing, mm. like a church plant. What would I say to them? Yeah, your, your, your simple bullet point advice. Do something. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker, I overthink. I don't get to act. Like I, I spruik this reflexivity iteration thing, action, reflection, action, reflection. I just want to reflect and not act. The cycle doesn't work unless you're doing both. So just do something. Is that Nike's motto? Just just do it. Yeah. That's a do. bit more punchy than just do something. <laughs> just do something. <laughs> no, it's good. I love it. John Kavanagh, thank you very much for joining us. It's a I've, pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation. That's good. Very much. So uh, thank you. The Beard, The Burks, The Cool Church, John Kavanagh. Own a coffee. It's, it's where you want to be in Marrickville. Mm. I want to move to Marrickville now and, uh, and become a nerd and a cynic. Is that your big takeaway from this episode? Like stop what you're doing? Yep, stop everything I'm doing and uh, yep, go and drink some coffee in Marrickville. No, uh, my, my takeaway was just around how we're talking about iteration how that we need to change. And, and the thing that stuck out to me, stuck out to me was um, that churches often change slower than their neighbourhoods. And uh, that really s- struck me. And so I want to commit to keep iterating our church and keep allowing our church to change and reflect our neighbourhoods. What about you? I really liked when John was talking about uh, money and about, you know, another potential benefit of the network approach or the kind of relational mixed ecology um, is that some maybe less sustainable but higher impact ministries could be supported by other churches that have Mm. a little bit more weight to pull Um, and that comes back to some of the stuff we talked about with the, the lean startup and the entrepreneurial stuff so I don't fully know what that looks like in practice. I think probably we're doing it a little bit with our network where there's different sizes kind of trying to collaborate, share some resources. So, yeah, just love that idea and and think that, you know, that's probably what stood out to me out of John's conversation is continue to be partnered with churches of different models and sizes than the one you're in. Yep, love it. Well, have a wonderful week, everyone. Uh, join our Facebook group, get amongst the conversation. If you haven't left a review, we would really love that. There's been lots of lovely reviews written and we, we get a, a nice warm heart out of reading them. So if you want to make our hearts warm, then you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you on behalf of our soon-to-be-warmed hearts. <laughs> Can't wait for this cold <laughs> heart to get warmed up. Bye. Hey, it's Jamie. Join me and some friends next week for a roundtable discussion where we unpack the ideas from this episode and what they look like in different contexts.